Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. We're finishing up our work with Marianne Williamson and her book of The Law of Divine Compensation. And I'm going to start with a, with a quote near the end of the book. She says, looking to other people as the source of our money is an idolatrous notion. It sees those people as the source of our good. It can also lead us to exploitive or manipulative thoughts or behaviors. But when we realize that it is the universe itself that is the source of our good, we simply allow it to feel uh, to fulfill our needs in whatever ways work best. And the universe would never exploit anyone. We do whatever it is we feel we're supposed to do, and the universe will pay us in whatever way is appropriate. So this, this purity of heart then, is the greatest engine of wealth creation. I'm going to read that again. It is purity of heart then that is the greatest engine of wealth creation. And so we're going to talk about this idea of purity at heart today. Uh, But if we're going to talk about wealth, I think uh, a joke about wealth, maybe, (laughs) would also be a good place to start. So a frightened investor goes to his financial planner and asks if he's at all worried about the volatility of the markets these days. Well, the market has been up and down, says the financial planner, but you know, I'm still able to sleep at night just like a baby. The frightened investor was amazed. Really? Even with all the market fluctuations? Oh, yes, said the financial planner. I sleep for a couple of hours and then I wake up and cry, just like a baby. (laughs) So if we want to avoid that cyclical nature of our good, Do you know what I mean? That idea that somehow when good comes to us, then it likewise will, will, the tide will turn and we'll lose it. And whether, and whether it's financial good, whether it's uh, good of the heart, whether it's, uh, it's good in business, don't we all have a sense sometimes that our good is fleeting? What if we want to say goodbye to that? What if we want to live in that constant support that God is so willing to give us? Well, Marianne Williamson says it is the purity of heart that will bring that to us. And what's interesting is she actually has a step-by-step plan for how we might achieve it. And it starts in a very funny place. So I'm reading through this book. You know, it's kind of deadly serious in places. And I get to the next to the last chapter and she does a metaphysical interpretation like we do around Easter. We'll take one of the parables of Jesus from the Ten Commandments and do a metaphysical interpretation. And it's kind of fun, but kind of dry. Guess what she does a metaphysical interpretation of? Cinderella. So I'm going to share with you Marianne Williamson's uh, metaphysical Cinderella. Well, first of all, the way we do metaphysics is every character in the story is us, all of them. So when we look at every single character, it's an aspect of ourselves. So who is Cinderella, right? Walking around in the dumpy dress and the, uh, the nose shoes and cleaning out the fireplace and all that stuff. Well, that's us. And you might think of that as our unenlightened self. 
the person with all that baggage from the past and all that trouble that we were raised with and all the issues going on in our life. Doesn't it feel sometimes like we're trapped with the ugly stepsisters, right? Okay, so that's Cinderella. Then who is the ugly stepsisters? Well, that's us too. No, it is. Because if you think about it, aren't we just as ugly as anything, sometimes in our thoughts and even in our deeds, right? Right? Isn't often the mess that we've got ourselves into a direct a direct result of our own ugly thinking, if you will. So that's the ugly stepsisters. How about the fairy godmother? Well, that's us too. But if you think about it, it's our enlightened thought. It's our knowledge that with proper thinking, with proper motivation, with an understanding of the true creative power we have in our hearts, that even the ball is possible. So what's the ball? It's our life in the future. It's that, that greatness, that imaginative space of what could be. It's us showing up in all of our finery and having a, a wonderful, amazing time. That's what the ball represents. It's that enlightened self. It's what, if we follow our, our intuitive nature, that fairy godmother within, that's what we get to create. That's the life that we get to create. What about all the pumpkins, the mice, and all that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> Believe it or not, Marianne Williamson says that this is our life the way it is, right? And we can transform our life the way it is, the mice and the pumpkins and the, right? We can transform it. We're not working magic here in terms of creating something that doesn't exist. Literally, the good of the universe is right before us we already have. And when we follow three very specific steps that she talks about, we have the ability to transform our lives without even really changing the outsides much into that dream of a future. So what are the three steps? Well, first of all, like any good Cinderella, we have to clean up our mess first, right? The whole first half of the story is her shoveling out the fireplace, right? Having to make meals for other people. It's getting rid of the trash. And what's the trash? It's the trash that we've created. It's the bad relationships from the past. It's the, the thoughts of lack and limitations. It's us literally trying to wade through the creations of our past in order to get somewhere. And Marianne Williamson said we have to do this cleanup activity on two levels. First of all, there may indeed be literal trash. There may indeed be literal cinders of our past, sometimes still hot, in fact, I think. But we may actually have to do physical things in the world, right? We may have to pay off those visa bills. We may have to make amends to people that we've harmed. There may be literal things that you and I need to do to clean up the past. But more than that, she says, we have to clean up our thinking of the past. It is our thoughts that have produced that. And if all we do is clean up the outside of things, guess what? All that dirt and grime just starts accumulating again. We haven't really, you know, we, we've kind of stemmed the tide a little bit, but back it comes. So the true cleanup, the true thing that Cinderella or we have to do is on the inside. 
It's working out the issues that are trapping our heart, even as Laura was singing about the things we do to harden and, and put a wall between ourselves and other people. This is all of that trash, anything, anything that prevents us from having the open heart, from being able to stand in the firm knowledge that we are good enough and that the universe will treat us well, and that openness and that freedom that comes from that. Anything that stands in the way, whether it's shame, whether it's blame, whether it's unforgiveness, whether it's that uh, idea that trouble will follow us. I mean, I hear all kinds of crazy things from people around why they're not going to experience their good. And as long as they believe it, they won't experience their good. They're actually setting themselves up for more of the same. So that's the first thing we have to do. Clean up the mess. The second thing we have to do Cinderella had to have an imagination. She had to know about the ball, right? She had to know how to dress for the ball. She had to know, I mean, if you think about this, right? She had a, clear, a pretty clear idea of what it was going to be, how she was going to get there. We had to do the transformations, but she was clear about being in there, what it would mean that she was going to have fun. She knew the right dance steps, right? <laughs> I, I mean, think about it. If you and I, right, I, I mean, well, and maybe you don't imagine yourself as Cinderella. I guess I, I do occasionally, and at least, at least in my head, I would be afraid that I'd get as far as the front gates of the castle and just go, oh, well, I guess maybe this isn't for me. <laughs> right? Don't you have those thoughts sometimes? It's, it's, it's like you're, you get up your assumption to do something that you know is right for you and is important for you and would be good for you. And you get about halfway there, you get up to the castle steps and all of a sudden it's like, what if I don't know the right dance steps? What if everybody looks prettier than me, <laughs> right? We'll come up with a million excuses to actually turn around and head back home again. We have to know without question what we want on this planet. And I got to tell you, most people I interact, it's actually the reverse. They're really clear on what they don't want in life. But do you see, what does the fairy godmother do with this? I don't want this job. I don't want this relationship. I don't want to live this way. I don't want poverty. The, the fairy godmother, it's like, what can she do? We need to know what we do want. If we want to transform our lives, we need to know what to transform it into. What the ball is going to be like. How the fun we're going to have so that we can prepare for it. So we can be ready for it. So we can open our hearts in acceptance. And if there isn't some clarity about what our life is to be like, if we don't have a clue about how good it's going to be, how perfect it will be, what love will feel like, if we can't actually feel on a heartfelt sense what the experience of our future good is going to be like, and whether it's a, a monetary sense, whether it's a, a physical sense, whether it's a, a, an experience of love or graciousness or feeling really useful at work, unless we can feel those, unless we can sense them and put our arms around them, that dream of beauty and contentment and joy can never actually happen to us. The law works by fulfilling what we can encompass in our hearts. And if we can't encompass it, I got to tell you, this whole system just breaks down. We get as far as the palace gates and then we turn around and we're back to shoveling out the fireplace again. 
because we don't have clarity and a willingness to really accept in our heart what is to come, what's right for us, what's uniquely and perfectly ours to experience. Um, this term in, the, in classes upstairs, I'm teaching from Eric Butterworth's book on um, spiritual economics. And one of the things that he says that I think that is so powerful has to do with what we're going to get. And he said, is it our dreams that we're going to get? And he says, no. Is it what we pray for we're going to get? He says, sadly, no. Is it what we deserve that we're going to get? No. What he says we're going to get is what we expect to get. Now think about this for a minute. Prayers are often those things of wishful hopefulness. They're not going to move us. Our ideas of what would be fair may not even apply to us. But if we expect a thing will happen, if in our absolute hearts we know it's possible that it's going to happen, in fact, I expect it to happen, that is when it actually happens. So this idea of having this vision, having this idea of what joy and love and peace is like, and, and having it really internalized us, even with the expectation that it will pass, that, my friends, is what moves mountains. That is what harnesses that creativity and that force of God itself to change our lives. So it's more than just having that laundry list of what you want it's embodying that laundry list. It's becoming that list of things that you would have an experience. Cinderella's ready for the ball. She's practiced the dance step. She knows exactly how her dress would be. And she is even in that childlike way to just accept that it can come from the pumpkin, that it can come from the mice to pull it, that it come, can come from her own rags to be seen as glorious raiment. This is her childlike simplicity of simply accepting and expecting her good. Okay, one more missing piece here. And this one might be a surprise to you, but this is really what uh, uh, Marianne Williamson says is the wand, right? The, the wand from the story when the fairy godmother, <laughs> of course she knew I'd have one. <laughs> of course she knew I'd have one. I've actually had my wand for a long time, and it's... You know, it's kind of a sparkly one. What she said, well, it is. <laughs> now, this one I think is going to surprise you because what she says turns the rags into riches. What she says is the power of moving from the pumpkin into the coach, of, of turning our, our loose collection of ideas of what we would like into reality, she says, is gratitude. She simply says that when our heart is filled with gratitude, it will activate the law of divine compensation. That's what we've been talking about all month. And she says the primary power, the primary force behind which all of this can happen is gratitude. And this is a good news and a bad news story. Because it's not um, being grateful for the good things in your life. It's being grateful for your life, 
What she says is, and I believe it's true, anything that we're in resistance to, if there are pieces of our life that don't look the way we wish them to, whether it's dwindling finances or a difficult relationship, whether it's in-laws that are giving you a bad time or a job that's a little off kilter, if it's a retirement that's not going the way you had planned or neighbors that are giving you a bad time, actually, Marianne Williamson says, and get ready for this, these are the places we need to start with gratitude. That it is our basic acceptance of life that brings more life to us. That it is our ability to say, there's nothing wrong with my life and I'm expecting the best. That is what brings the best and what transforms the very things we're worried about into something beautiful and perfect and lovely. Have you ever done the expectation game before? Okay, this is something that, that Daniel and I do now again. When we run up against something that we're a little spooked by, so let's say maybe things, maybe, maybe I'm not feeling as well as I'd like and I'm off to the doctor. Or maybe for, for Daniel, a good example was the first time he started teaching fifth graders uh, in dance classes. And he had never, I mean, he taught dance for years and years, but never fifth graders. And so he was like, uh, mm, uh, <laughs> how's this going to be? And so we play the expectation game. And the game is, what if everything goes right? <laughs> What if the fifth graders are fabulous and attentive and get the dance steps right away and have a great time? What if I go to the doctor and she says, you're fine, go home. <laughs> so often in life, we do the expectation game the other way around. We play out in our head the way the boss is going to treat us when we're on that phone call where, you know, the boss says, would you mind uh, coming into my office Friday at three o'clock? right? What, what are the expectation games you play? This is not a good thing, right? I'm going to get chewed out. I'm going to get fired. Something bad is going to happen. What if it all goes well? When we have an open heart to receiving our good and are grateful for it, that is waving the wand. That's what turns the stinky boss into a wonderful boss. It's what turns the ugly stepsisters into your best friends. It's what creates an expectation in your own heart that good is coming your way. And when you're already grateful for it, when you already have that sense that my life is going well, and this is going to be one more evidence of it, and you express that gratitude, not just for the things that are going well, but for all of it, when this is who you are, the Cinderella factor is amazing. Suddenly, all of the things that were trouble turn into just being fine. And, and the things that you were a little iffy about turn into things that were marvelous. And your dreams that were already pretty darn good become reality because you're expecting it. So I'm going to review these three steps again really quickly. This, if you will, is the synopsis of, of five weeks worth of material here. But I think you'll find that it is all you need to know about creating wealth of every sort, whether it's love, whether it's money, whether it's possibilities. This is what you need to do. You clean up the current mess, 
in mind, you're thinking around it, and in literal fact, if there is a, a mess or a atonements to be made or whatever, you clarify and begin expecting what it is you really want. Remember, if you don't know what you want, there's no way God can bring it to you. If you don't have an idea of what a loving relationship is like, firmly in your heart, one can't come to you. If you don't have a sense of what being rich and outrageously abundant is like and what it feels like and what the whole experience would be like, if you're really sketchy about that, then you're only going to get the sketches. You're not going to feel the full impact of it. So we begin to have that clear, persistent, and expected idea of what we want And then the third piece is being grateful for your life right now. There's nothing that can open your heart up greater than simply being grateful for life. When our heart expands, it's ready to receive. When our heart becomes larger, it can hold more. When we begin viewing life through those eyes of possibility and warmth and the the goodness of love, more of it will find its way to us. I'm going to give you one example of this last little part, and then we'll, we'll we finish for today. Um, many of you know that I've been in relationships really my whole life. I was in three, well, am in three long-term relationships. Each one uh, lasted about 10 years. I'm, I'm thinking this last one is going to last for another 20 or 30. Um, but I got to tell you, the one in the middle did not end really well. And I was left with a house that I couldn't really make the house payments on by myself and in a lot of despair. And I would tell you that I had a few resentments here and there. I was kind of feeling like I had been ditched and was in the lurch and like the, my possibilities were closing in. And I was feeling pretty unloved and kind of an angry SOB too, if you would permit me to use initials. And uh, uh, I, yeah, I would say I was a pretty angry guy. My best friend, Ed, was so smart. He said, I think it's time to bury your ex. And of course, immediately I lit up with that thought. <laughs> I, I have to admit, I kind of, because if there's a burial, it means I get my way, right? <laughs> but no, what he meant was we need to do something to really honor and clear out that phase of your life. And so as it happens, we, we had lived on some acreage there, and, and part of it was our personal pet cemetery. So, you know, we had a 20-year-old cat that w- had been buried there and a 19-year-old dog that had been buried there. And so Ed and I went out with the shovel, and we dug a hole, and we put into it some mementos of my relationship with Bob and, and, and had things out there. And then what do you do at a memorial? You talk about how grateful you are for the person that you're burying. And initially, I was very resistant to this. And my friend Ed, who is just like a miracle worker, he said, no, this is a memorial. You're not going to speak poorly of the dead. (laughs) This is a memorial for this relationship. Are you telling me that in the 10 years you were together, you didn't have more joy than pain? And I had to think about it for a moment. And he was completely right. And so I blessed that relationship, and I blessed Bob and myself in it. And I, the more I thought about it, I thought to myself, these were uh, seven of the ten years were really lovely, and we learned a lot from each other, and we had a good time. And I mean, really, when I got down to it, it was like, oh my gosh, good point. 
I am grateful for that. And so we covered over the, the pictures of the, of the, uh, that I had put in there and some of the mementos, and it was though a boat anchor had been lifted off my chest. It was as though some unfinished business, or I don't even quite know how to explain it, but I physically felt about 20 pounds lighter. And I will share something else with you. The house that we had lived in, the one, well, that I was still living in at that time, had been on the market for 18 months. And about a week after I did that little ceremony, that house sold. It was because I was ready, finally, to move on. I was ready, finally, to have that purity of heart, to let go of the things that were, were tying me up and binding me down, and I was ready to move on. I'm going to close with a, a simple quote from the very end of this book today. But remember your three steps. It's cleaning up your messes. It's clarifying your expectations, being ready for what it is to come, and being grateful for your life the way it is right now. And here's how Marianne Williamson finishes this lovely book. She says, God will do God's part when we do ours. Even if we have only a frayed hat, we can still put on the hat and show up grandly for life. Abundance and prosperity will show up when we do. Today's reality is simply a mirror of yesterday's thinking. Now, in this moment, and standing in the field of endless possibilities, you can distance yourself from the limits of your past. Nothing binds you except your thoughts. Nothing limits you except your fear. Nothing controls you except your beliefs. So today, begin to believe, begin to think God. Think Jesus, think light, think love. Think whatever form of divinity calls to you. And when you do this, anything unlike it will fall away. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, and one love. I call this thing God, but you know, it goes by, by so many names. Jehovah, it goes by the name of Allah, goes by the name of uh, the divine feminine. Truly, God is all in all. And what I know about this, this completeness of the universe is that it is abundance without end, that all of the love is available, all of the joy is available, the, the peace, the abundance, the sweetness of life, all of it, all of it is for us and available. And on this day, I know for the people in this room, including myself, that there is perhaps that willingness to clean up the embers of our past, to clean up those messes that have been through our thinking in the past. I also know it is within our purview to have that wonderful imagination that says where we're going and a willingness to hold it in our heart in a meaningful way, in an intentional way, knowing that it is for us that I'm expecting this grand new life. And finally, about the life I have right now, I'm grateful. And I know that the people in this room have that ability, likewise, to be grateful for life as it prevents itself. And so, with gratitude, I acknowledge this time of prayer. I acknowledge this wisdom from Marianne Williams. I just let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you for being here today. So glad you're here.
hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.